Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I've been doing some further research given the global events that we're seeing on the news that I normally don't talk about, but I want to put a positive slant and talk about the supply chain today. And I do believe that I have found a wonderful heart-centered leader in Dubai, and his name is Dr. Mudasir, and I'd like to talk to you about him. He, he coins himself the supply chain maven. He's the founder and CEO of SCM Dojo, which I'm excited to learn where that name came from. But he also is a chain digitalization evangelist. He's a speaker, a trainer, a writer. He has a blog. He also has a vlog. And he also is the host of the Supply Chain Show. So I couldn't think of anyone better to have on the show to talk about heart-centered leadership within the supply chain. So Dr. Mudasar, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Deb. Thanks for having me. And I really like the title of your podcast, you know, Heart-Centric Leadership, which is, which is yeah, which those, it's all about people, right? So I, I am very much excited to talk to you, want to know more about you and you know, share my thoughts. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for making the time. I know you had some struggles to get here with meetings and traffic and all the logistics that come with business. So before I dive in, let me just give kind of a easy definition for our listeners about supply chain, because it sounds like two simple words, but it really is understanding the sequence of processes that is involved in the production and distribution of a commodity. So Mm -hmm. given the recent events and, and the climate that we've seen since the start of COVID, my first leadership question is, Could you share how you crafted the dashboard for your company? Because when I did my research on you, I was really intrigued to see the length and if I could use the term bandwidth of how many KPIs, and I'll I'll let you further define this for the listeners. How were you able to narrow that down and get so specific and get that number to be one-tenth of what really is out there on a global level. I think you put a very nice definition of the supply chain, right? Well, I think uh, it's a quickly technically heavy for the people who actually not know supply chain. So let's, I'm just going to assume your people are not supply chain people, right? So let me define easier version of supply chain. So anything you buy, you wear, anything tangible in nature, it needs to reach to from a point A to point B, you know, starting from the raw materials to the factory, to the, from the ship to a distributor, to a dealer, to a retailer. You, so in this process, there's essentially three things is happening, right? There's three flows are happening. The first flow is the information flow. Information flow means the stuff you need to buy. So as if you go to a shop, you buy a new Christmas gift that you're placing in order, right? So that's the information kickoff or demand, as we say. 
And that the signal goes back to a distributor or a dealer who send it to a manufacturer who send it to a raw material people. So this is this is less an example of the information flow. So once that information flow triggers, then on the on the on the on the supply chain side, we trigger the material flow, right? So that means it goes, you know, raw material people, suppliers make the stuff, send it to their manufacturer who put it together, who send to a distributor, who send to a wholesaler, who send to a retailer, and then you can buy. So the information flow, materials flow go hand in hand. So while our main job is to focus on moving the material from point A to point B, plus actually most of the time we spend as a supply chain people in managing information. The third flow it happens in that is the money flow, because essentially, once you trigger the information, you have to buy something, then you trigger the material flow that we have to get something, and then you have to pay the money in return. So as a, when you pay your credit card, when you swap your credit card to a retail person, then they pay the distributor who pay for the manufacturer who pay to a supplier. Not, and not necessarily all of them happen in a linear fashion, but the point is they have to pay each other. So in simple terms, in our job, we manage these three flows, which is information flow, material flow, and also the money flow. Now, so anything we do, as we understand, is around these three work you know, flows. That means we have to create a KPI, which is made otherwise known as key performance indicators to measure the performance of that supply chain. There's a famous saying goes, what gets, gets measured, get done. Simply I can put this uh, with this exist following. You go to your, every week you go to your grocery shop, if you're not ordering online, the other thing I hope people still go to buy milk. And you've noticed whenever you go and buy milk, it's always, regardless of the shop of the size, it could be a mega store or could be a small shop, it's always on the back end of the shop, right? It's almost at the, at the and there's a reason for that because they want you to walk it through and buy other crap which you shouldn't buy, but you still have to buy. You get that milk, right? Okay, so that's the science behind why the milk is background because it's an essential commodity. But the example I'm giving is following. So let's assume you go to your regular grocery shop and the milk is not there. What do you think? I mean, can you imagine the milk? I mean, remember in COVID, we're talking about tissue paper saga, and that's the reason because everybody's assumed toilet paper is there, right? But somehow it's not there. So how to measure your supply chain performance that all the right things are the right there at the right time? So, and I'll finish this question with the final definition of customer service. So whenever, whatever you buy in your life, you can buy a Bentley, you can buy a house, you can buy a milk, you can buy, uh, you know, toys for your clothes or buy a flower. The, to experience a customer service, you essentially measure three things or four things, in fact. You measure the cost of the product you're buying, right? You measure the quality of the product you're buying. You measure the price of the product you're buying and the lead time of the product. That's why Amazon is super good because they supply every, they give you a fair price. They give you a good quality. If you don't like them, you can send it back. They give you very quickly and they give you on time. Therefore, when you buy from Amazon, you feel a good customer experience. And all of these factors, which I explained to you, can be measured in the form of KPI. I'm thrilled that you mentioned the Amazon kind of experience. And I'm, I'm going to just table that for a minute because it's part of my, my third question for you. You make the supply chain cycle sound easy, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is I'm trying to get people to not be intimidated by different sectors or leadership titles, and we can break things down in layman's terms, which you just did so beautifully. Now, my second question is all about the title of the show, which you love, and I put imperfect in front of heart-centered leadership because I believe it's important to showcase are imperfections. So the second question has permanent residency on the show. 
And please answer this for us. What imperfections do you bring to your heart-centered leadership? Brilliant question. And I'm probably the one of the best person to answer that. <laughs> Let me tell you why. See, I'm a, uh, to, to answer this question, you probably need to understand a bit of my, my background, right? So I'm, I'm an engineer by nature, which is, makes, makes us very blue. I come from a very, let's call it, a hardship uh, environment. I, I was born in Pakistan, raised very, raised, struggling very much with, the, with my dreams that, you know, I need to work hard to get my education done. Basically, at the age of 16, my dad said, you can't pay. I can't pay you money if you want to if you want to educate yourself you have to do it yourself but i mean he gave me a favor essentially he gave me a choice and i took the choice i mean he could choose not to give me that choice so i took that choice i'm working for the age of 16 i fund myself through college fund myself through university i went to sweden did my masters went to you get it now so i work very hard to uh, for what i do where i live so that makes me a very very let's call it um, results driven person Right. And that actually a skill which is very much in demand in supply chain, because essentially in supply chain, I give you the example of milk and not being available. If people like us not very system driven and process driven, you won't get your stuff. And if you go to your stuff, people get upset. Right. So we have process driven, system driven people. Right. And it by its nature, it's kind of not really emotional. And that of my, let's call it systematic process-oriented skill was very much admired at the time of my, my, my career and while I was working for a corporate, no need to names, I only work for a few corporates and you know, I don't change job. And then what happened is my in first few years of my leadership management experience, I remember two, eight and nine, I think then they did this 360 assessment and they find out I'm a, I'm, my drive for results actually are over strength. What does that mean, over strength? That means I don't really care what people think. I just want to get stuff done, right? And that was an eye-opening instance for me, saying, okay, if you want to be a good, well-rounded manager, you need to be, you know, understand that if you, uh, you know, you probably know in your, people have talked about in your show about this insights, you know, red scale, blue scale, green and yellow. So I'm like a red 22. You know, I'm a director leadership person. I'll get it done, Right. Well, if you want somebody to coordinate stuff, say, how was the weekend or sunshine is flu or how's your dog? I frankly don't care, right? I don't, I don't really care. But if you want to be a manager of people or a leader, you have to learn how to be accommodating in a different styles of people. You know, they have different ambition in life. Not everybody is ambitious as me or you know, the other fellow. Not a, there's a lot of people who just want to come and do their job. They do a very, they want to do a very good nine to five job, and they want to go home, and they want to enjoy the family. You know, drink their wine, Netflix, whatever. Right? They don't have to work twelve hours a day, which is fine. To get to the terms of that, because which was uncomprehensible, you know, I couldn't comprehend initially. It took me time. It took me mentoring, but I realized that. I realized that. Right? That that is not. This is needs to happen, and I try to learn those, uh, let's call it imperfections as you have used, right? And trying to be, whilst I'm doing it, I always wanted to tell people that I'm true to myself. You know, I work hard. I want people to work hard with me. We want to be the best team. We want to produce the best results. We want to produce, you know, we want to give benefit to our customers. We want to do all that, but we will do it with our team skills. And that shift in mindset to me was, was good enough that from going from few complaints to HR in a couple of years time, I had the highest engagement score as a leader in the business, which was for me is a testament that people like me who are 
not emotional intelligent. And I, I think I'll talk about that topic a bit more if you allow me later on this. I know I am not emotionally intelligent. But having said that, I know that's something I need to work hard consciously all the time, right? I like to think of a successful manager and a leader. I'm now a CEO of a big business. I have a team of people working and I have make, make a swift change from corporate person to an entrepreneur, which is itself a, it's a, it's a journey. But I also realize that probably one day I'm going to write a book, which call it emotionally unintelligent, you know, how to succeed. Because I have done probably every possible mistake an emotionally unintelligent person would have done, right? Reacting immediately, maybe not thinking overnight, you know, not taking a pause of a situation, maybe not thinking a bigger picture, maybe not being a politically savvy. I have done every that mistake, but I've learned from it. And I'm trying to still learning from it and try to rectify where possible. I'm going to tell you what I love about that answer. I love a lot of things about it, but I love that you shared your heart and you embraced honesty and humility. I think you are the first leader to say, um, and I liked your term, you're the, you're the get the shit done guy. I've been called the get the shit done girl. So we, we've got a parallel there. But you were so raw and honest with me to say, I realized I needed to maybe allow a little bit of emotional intelligence to come in. The bigger part, you're still a work in progress. Hence the name of the show. We're all imperfect. I'm an entrepreneur. You're an entrepreneur. We've had corporate experience. Our lineage from our upbringing that you shared with us in Pakistan, not being able to have support for school. There's such a depth. I call it a, a level of visceral resilience. And we keep evolving as human beings and leaders. And we're both global leaders in different sectors. But I like to kind of summate it to say, we are really borderless with the technology that we have. I mean, I'm in Canada right now and you're in Dubai and here we are many hours apart, morning for me, evening for you, and we're having this conversation. And does the sector that we're in really matter? Because at the end of the day, we're all in the people business. So I just want to commend you. And I join you in that arena to say, I'm imperfect. I'm growing, I'm learning. And if we can take our past experiences and frame them into a conversation with future clients, colleagues, whoever it may be, it's such a win-win when you allow those heart-centered qualities to have a presence within your expertise within leadership. So beautifully answered. I absolutely love that answer. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, my third question, you talked about the, the model that Jeff Bezos had beautifully created on post-it notes in his garage, and we're now ordering everything and anything from our couch on Amazon. It leads beautifully into my third question on leadership. From your viewpoint as an entrepreneur and a leader in the supply chain and owning your business and navigating unprecedented times, Share with us your impressions and thought leadership around how the customer experience has really evolved. I don't want to say change because I think we've evolved to meet the times. And I would love to hear your thoughts on the view of that and how you've navigated from the beginning of 2020 till now. Good question. Actually, this is a probably a rather complicated one. So I'll try to answer it as best as I could. So COVID has done two good things, if you think about it, right? COVID has accelerated the desire to be digitalized, 
businesses would have not done it with the speed they have done it or forced upon them uh, if the COVID would have not happened. Let me give you a simple example. I was working for a corporate job during COVID, etc. My managers and the leaders, they have the obsession of everybody should be at work no matter what. Maybe they do nothing, right? But they're forced to work upon. And I always believe supply chain, we manage information as I mentioned at the start. I can be here, I can be anywhere, it doesn't really matter, I can do the job. And, and that is our business SCM Dujo. SCM Dujo is actually doing exactly that. That if you hire somebody for your supply chain, uh, you go to SCM Dujo, we'll find you expert, can do the job. Anyway, so that's that's our business model. So this is the one thing it has done, right? So it, so buy, so it has changed people to really, I don't really have to go and buy clothes. I can just go order online. It will come here, milk will come, everything will come. Even I've got, believe me or not, I've got a treadmill delivered, treadmill delivered online, you know, so Amazon. I couldn't, I couldn't even believe they come and fit it up as well. Actually, I moved my house, I bought a house. I have ordered an electrician on Amazon and Amazon is now providing services, right? You can book it online, they send you a WhatsApp, they come in. You don't even have to know the person. He just comes in, fit it in and he was gone. Paid online, cash, no cash, doesn't matter. Point is, so this has enhanced our experience of digitalization, right? First thing first. Second thing which has changed, which is changing more and more, which is more, let's call it push-based market and demand versus pull-based. If you remember when we growing up, we used to have this massive billboards and everything like cigarettes as TV was bombarded with everything. And we were, we like this program or not, or we like this ad or not, we are forced upon look at it right now. Let's take Google. Last time I watched TV, maybe 18 months ago, I have no idea. When I watched like television channel like NBC or whatever, or HBO, I watch YouTube or Amazon, or Netflix or, or, or Amazon Prime. That's what I watch, you know, with my friends and family. So the thing is, you in Amazon Prime and Netflix, there's no ads. You pay a subscription piece, you choose not to watch any ads. On YouTube, you can sign up to the premium, premium, whatever, and you can choose not to see ads as well, So which I have. Having said that, even the ad which appear right now is based on your user profile, your cookies and all that. So basically they're showing you stuff which they know that you're gonna probably gonna, if you buy stuff, they're gonna tell you which you're interested, right? So this is known more as pull-based marketing inbound. So, so they're collecting data. I know people are scared of the data and cookies, but this is the way it's going. It will be, it's called, it's, it's gonna happen. Humanization, customization is gonna happen. So right now you, so therefore I say to people, your search results, your, your feed on any social media platform, your LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, your search history is essentially a reflection of your mindset. So whatever you're searching, think carefully, because if you start searching crap, you're gonna get crap back, right? If you start searching valuable stuff, you're gonna start seeing valuable stuff, right? And I call it more pull-based information gathering or pull-based monitoring, again, COVID has enhanced that experience. It was not there three years ago. Now, it leads nicely into my last leadership question. What is your vision or what do you see within the supply chain five years from now? Do you have a snapshot vision of 2027 of what you think the supply chain is going to look like based on what we're seeing today? Actually, today... I'm going to Azerbaijan next week on a conference. I'm a speaker. I'm talking about, uh, you know, four pillars of supply chain strategy. So they are publishing. They asked me, you know, we want to publish your interview on a PR magazine. And they sent me some questions. And actually, I'm going to read these two questions, which can nicely answer your question. One thing they asked me 
In your opinion, what is the future of supply chain management? Question. My answer is following. The future of supply chain is awesome. And I expect more and more jobs to be created in this function. And the strategic importance of the supply chain function will only grow. Right? That's one thing. The second part of that question is, you can only do so much innovation with product. Right? You have a webcam. What are you going to do with webcam? Okay, made music on. Car is a car, a Tesla. You can only do so much innovation. So, so businesses are struggling to innovate their product, but to give themselves a competitive advantage, they have to innovate their supply chain. They have to find a better, faster, agile, more resilient way to provide a goods and the services to a customer. It can only come by redesigning the supply chain or try the, the innovation. If you think about it, Amazon itself, which is a brand which people think are buy stuff, they don't own any most of the stuff. They own supply chain of that. They own the warehouse, they own the website, they own the whole logistics of it, right? The supplier is somebody else. I mean, you can buy you can buy Sony phone from there, right? Or you can buy Apple phone. Do they own Apple phone or Sony? Not really. They're providing logistics of that. Therefore, they have driven the innovation in the supply chain to, be, to give themselves a competitive advantage versus the actual manufacturing people. Can you imagine? I mean, just, just think about that thought, right? And this is what I'm talking about. The innovation in supply chain will become super and super important. And the supply chain people like me, or the, the that's what we do at SCM Dujo. We train people on supply chain. We have we have a courses. We have a guides, best practices, tools, access to experts. If you want to know about supply chain, come to us. You will get everything, everything, and that cheap. Literally twenty nine dollars per month, fifty nine. You can have it, right? So so supply chain as a career will grow. According to right now, my estimation, there's about 20 million people supply in supply chain as a professional globally. That would go up to three times, four times in the next five years time. Right. So that's one part of the question. The second part he asked me is following. What is required for supply chains remain effective and meet business demand? He asked me this question. And I think the answer of that is four things you need. You need capable people and knowledge. Right. Then we cannot do. You need a solid processes. That means you have to draw run the supply chain better, you have a solid, you need to have an agile system, system is your ERP system, MRP system, and you need a strong leadership. That's what you need, which is probably end very nicely to the podcast of imperfect, the heart-centered leadership. Absolutely. I, I was waiting, I was waiting for you to drop the leadership component and congratulations on your upcoming uh, speaking event. Okay. I'm going to end the podcast with what I call my fab four these are four fun questions. We just want to know what's sitting on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. First question, tell us something we don't know about you. Tell us something which we don't know about you. You probably don't know a lot of things about me. Are you talking in general people don't know about me? Yes, in general. Right. Okay. I can tell you this. I have an Instagram account, which name is Dr. Moods, which is, I call this, is like a alter ego of Mudasarism. My handle is Mudasarism. And here I share my jokes because if, if, in my next life, if I retire, I want to become a stand-up comedian. Yeah. I love that. So we're going to have to put that that Instagram account in your podcast episode sure. description for sure. Do it. Okay. Second question. Share with us a book that you have read and what the title and author was that really was life-changing for you. Right. And this answer is going to shock you, probably your leaders as well. The first book, when I was when you're growing up like a teenager, right? 15, 16, you have only two. So when you're a baby, you want to eat. When you go growing up, you want to basically, uh, you know, inspire women, girls, you know, the teenager, right? Blah, blah, like get muscled up. I was no different. So, uh, and I bought a book on a very secondhand workshop. 
probably worth right now in dollars even two cents, literally two cents. And that book was Arnold Schwarzenegger's first book called documentary called Pumping Iron, right? So that book is essentially first book Arnold has written after learning his Mr. Universe title. And in this book, of course, he was talking about exercises and gym and all that. But on the top of that, he experienced it. He shared his journey in the dream of why he actually wanted to become a bodybuilder, not because he wanted to become a bodybuilder. And this is very inspiring. There's two people I'm a big fan, Jeff Bezos and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And not Arnold Schwarzenegger as a bodybuilder. Actually, Arnold Schwarzenegger as an achiever, right? The reason he's an achiever, because he wrote in that book, and that book was published in 1982, actually. And I read that book is around 1996 time. So it was pretty old anyway, right? He wrote in that book that I want to basically get inspired. And actually, I want to become a Hollywood actor, right? And then probably I want to be going to politics in the USA. So the dude is writing in 1982 what he wants to achieve. Can you see his vision? So the only way he can, could get there is to do the bodybuilding, because that's the only thing he knew. So he ended up with Conan the Barbarian, the movie. Then he ended up with Terminator 2, because that was released at the point in time, right? And then he actually ended up being a mayor. And he said it in his postcards, if U.S. Constitution have, would have allowed him for running for president, he would have run for the president, right? So the reason I write that book, not because of what he has written, is because the clarity of his thought process that you set your dream up, you have to have a path, say no line is straight, you just need to try a different thing to get there, right? And just don't give up. It's the clarity of our vision, which is engraved in our heart as a dream. And if we just move forward every day with one small task, we'll get there. And that's a great example. And it's interesting that that that's your favorite book, but it left an impression on you, which is why yeah. you have this resiliency that you have today. It's part of. Yeah. Now, my third question is, is there a leader they could be living or have passed away that you would love to meet and have dinner with? And who would it be and why? Jeff Bezos, anytime. Jeff Bezos, anytime. Why? Why, why, why? Because Jeff Bezos' story, I've been following it. If you think about it, he, there was, if you think about it, I mean, people like Elon Musk and your Bill Gates and, you know, the, the famous leaders, they have been there forever. Jeff Bezos' profile, if you think about it, has been really arising in the last five years and people got to talk about him more than they should have done a long time ago, right? But I've been following his, his product sometime. One thing which is very clear is, is the, the one I like his strategy is this, it's probably similar to that. He started with a book because he knew that was an easy sell to do, but that was not his plan. He always knew what he wanted to do in terms of Amazon as a place, to, as a marketplace to be. Right. And also Amazon like this idea of making smaller teams. If you, I don't know, you can Google it. It's called Amazon 14 principles of leadership. So if you read that for Amazon 14 principles of leadership, that just summarizes how he thinks because he's written by himself anyway. His famous uh, two piece of theory no more, don't have a meeting for more than eight people. Right. If you have more than eight people, then you're just not doing anything. He just will walk away from the meeting if he doesn't think any, any, any value. Right. He allow, failures in millions of dollars because that's the way only people learn right if you don't learn you don't so for me he does a lot of things as a leader right right this is where they are where they are it's interesting you mentioned elon musk and bill gates because i i remember seeing a photo it was a quadrant of four photos and all of the ideas that started from a small garage on little post-it notes everybody starts from humble beginnings but it's that anchoring of clarity and vision 
And then really honing the discipline behavior and the structure to make it happen. And I think you've, you've laid that out really nicely. Okay. Before I finish the podcast, I want to thank you for spending time and we had a little bit of a challenge getting together, but we're resilient. We, we get things done, right? So very humble to have you on the show. Wish you continued success. Excited to keep in touch with you and know that you will continue to be the supply chain maven. So congrats on, on all your success and the future success to come. We're going to end the podcast and I'm going to ask you to finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Being honest about yourself and as honest as possible of your heart and mind so that there is no disconnect when people really see it. Because if your heart and mind are not aligned, people see it and they know you're not honest and they don't respect you after that. You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time and we'll see you again.